Morning, church. So good to be with you this morning. Uh, this is my last week with you uh, for a while. We'll see if kind of the rotation continues uh, in the coming weeks. We continue to pray for you in the midst of your surge process. Uh, we know that this is, is both an exciting time and a stressful time. And so uh, we continue to, to pray that God is already preparing the family that will be here uh, in just maybe a few short weeks or months. And uh, we, are, we are excited for what God is going to be doing with the life of this church. Well, today is, is Mother's Day, so I thought I would start with a story about a mother and a son. So, hungry uh, for food, as 15-year-old boys are often found to be, a 15-year-old boy arrived home from school one day after a very long day of work, and he found his mother there asleep in bed. At the end of the day, she'd been there all day long, and his mother was not one to stay in bed all day long. Now, he had been known to stay in bed all day long, but not his mother. She was always up doing something and doing something for someone else. So he was a bit concerned that his mother there is in bed at the end of the day, still in her room, still in her pajamas. So he walks up to his mother, as concerned as a 15-year-old boy can be, very quietly says, Mom, are you sick or something? She said, actually, yes. She said, I'm not feeling well. I haven't been feeling well all day. Well, the 15-year-old boy looks back at his mother and he says, after a moment's pause, well, don't you worry about dinner at all, Mom. I'm getting older, I'm getting stronger, and I'll be happy to carry you down to the stove so that you can make dinner for the rest of us. So, moms, happy Mother's Day. Let me say for everyone that we apologize for the many ways and the many methods that we have used to carry you down to the stove uh, for us. I will, I will tell you that, that Mother's Day and Father's Day have always been very difficult days on which to preach. And that may surprise some people. They always have been for me. I, I think one of the reasons for that is that a quick look around our culture shows that the idealized images of motherhood are inaccurate. They just are. And Scripture bears witness to that fact. I want you to think just for a moment about some of the women that are mentioned in Scripture. Ruth was widowed and childless out of very tragic circumstances. Rachel and Hannah and Sarah they were all infertile for a long time in their life, unable to have children. And to, their, to that list could be added many others who suffer from that same thing throughout their lives in Scripture. Eve and Mary both lost their sons to extremely tragic circumstances. There were two women who were mothers to two different kings, both of the kings whose names was Ahaziah, but both of these mothers encouraged their son to be wicked and unjust. If you think about it, Scripture really tells the story of women throughout time. That Scripture reveals the stories of things that are probably happening even in this church. The reality is, not the idealized version, but the reality is women live in very diverse circumstances. There are some women in our world and in our churches that are thriving. There are some that are coping. And there are some that are just about to go under the water. 
There was an author that was writing about this topic, Janelle Paris. And she said, I think very poignantly, the fairy tale of marriage and motherhood, it's just that. It's a fairy tale. She says, our culture is one of motherhood deferred due to later childbearing. It's one of motherhood disrupted by divorce. It is one of motherhood lost by infant or child death and even miscarriage. It's one of motherhood unachieved due to infertility and undesired singleness. Now, of course, there are in our culture uh, many other folks. There, there are wonderful families. There are strong marriages. There are happy children. The point I'm trying to make in all of this is that there is not a one-size-fits-all version of womanhood. And I think oftentimes, inadvertently, sometimes on days like this, on Mother's Day and later on Father's Day, sometimes we do those folks a disservice for championing and celebrating only one version of womanhood. And so I recognize that there are women here uh, who for today is a very difficult day. And I want you to know that we stand with you and we love you too. So what should we do on a day like this on Mother's Day in a church? Well, let's celebrate with the women who do have happy families and are at a good point in their life. But let's also remember the women, the men, the boys, the girls who have been and who are being hurt by their mothers. Let's also stand or perhaps sit with those mothers who have lost their children. For them, today is a very difficult moment. Let's also find a place for women who long to be wives, who long to be mothers, but who are not. And while we're doing all of that, let's most importantly remember why we are here. We are here to worship the one true God. That's why we're here. And we are here also to celebrate the ways in which we see the image of that God in all of us in various and different ways. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for today. We do thank you for the women in our lives who have made such an impact. We thank you for the ways in which we have been raised and shaped uh, through their voices and through their actions. And God, we thank you for the image into which we are created that is both comforting and nurturing and wise and strong God, this morning we we celebrate the ways in which you have created us. We remember even more the image in which we were created to be. We thank you so much for Jesus and his name that we pray. Amen. Would you hear the word of the Lord this morning? A little later, Jesus went to a city called Nain. His disciples and a great crowd were traveling there with him. And as he approached the city... As he approached that city gate, there was a dead man that was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the city was with her, and when he saw her, the Lord had compassion for her, and he said, don't cry. And he stepped forward, and he touched the stretcher on which this dead man was being carried. Those carrying him stood still. And Jesus said, young man, I say to you, get up. 
this dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. All struck, everyone praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and all of the surrounding region. This is kind of an odd story to read on Mother's Day, I will admit. It's a story that really doesn't fit the celebratory nature of stories we're typically accustomed to hearing on days like this. We come here today expecting to hear stories of the virtuous woman and this great celebrations of women doing great and miraculous things. But at first glance, this story, in fact, seems out of place in the Gospels. Luke is the only writer of all the Gospel writers to include any mention of this event. It concerns one woman and her son, and it's a tragic story, really. A woman whose husband is already dead, and now her only son has already died. Now this text doesn't say this, but it is implied at this point in her life, now this woman is without options. She has no financial income at this point. She really has nothing left in this life to supply for her needs. No options. And the only thing that her friends can do, those very closest to her in this life, the only thing they can do is walk with her in the funeral procession. They really can do nothing else. They have nothing else to offer. And this story is so inconsequential. Did you notice that she's not even given a name? Did you notice this? All we know about her is that she is a mother and she is a widow. History has referred to this individual as the widow from Nain. Kind of a sign of disrespect, really. It's certainly not a badge of honor. This story really is the very epitome of disrespect for mothers. A no-named widow loses her only child, and now she's left to fend for herself in life. Do you ever wonder why is a story like this in the Bible anyway? Of all the things that happened in the history of the world, why is this thing included? The reason it's included is because there was an uninvited guest at the funeral. He wasn't invited, but he showed up. Jesus was there. And I know it's not customary to bring a gift to a funeral, but Jesus did. Jesus brought with him the gift of the compassion of God. And that's why this story is here. I have to admit that the actions of Jesus in this story are at best puzzling. This isn't the only resurrection story in the Bible, as you know. A few weeks ago, we celebrated the most famous of those resurrection stories, Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. But even that is not the only other resurrection story in the Bible. If you look throughout the Gospels, there are several. Jesus, later on in his ministry, is going to resurrect Lazarus from the dead, even after he had been dead for four long days. Earlier in this very chapter of Luke, Jesus heals the servant of a centurion who is near death. She was almost dead. And Jesus goes and heals this servant. In the next chapter, Jesus raises a child back to life right there in the presence of her mother and her father. So those resurrection stories are there. But here's what puzzles me about this story. Now, would we agree that Jesus has all the power in the world? Jesus can do anything. God can do anything. God spoke the world into existence from the heavenly realms from a distance. We also read throughout the scriptures that while God was still in the throne room, he led the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. 
We also read in the text that while Lazarus was dead, four days in the grave, Jesus arrives and from a distance speaks a word, Lazarus come out, and Lazarus came out of the grave. Earlier in this chapter, when that centurion's servant was near death, they come and they tell Jesus about this. And again, from a distance, Jesus says to that centurion servant, be healed, and that servant is healed. So all of these things happening, we agree that, that God is, has limitless power at God's disposal. Jesus can do anything that Jesus wants to do. So here's my question. Why did Jesus touch that coffin? Have you ever wondered that? By touching the coffin, Jesus made himself unclean. Jesus could have brought this man back to life without touching that coffin. Jesus could have spoken from a distance and raised this man back to life. He could have seen that funeral procession going along, stopped where he was, said a word at a distance, and moved on with his life. Instead, instead what he does is he, he walks up to this mother. He sees her there suffering, and he has compassion on her. And then he does the unthinkable, the unthinkable in this culture. He reaches out with his own clean hand and he touches this coffin. In the next chapter, Jairus' daughter dies and Jesus does something in a, in a similar way. Jesus could have healed that child, brought that child back to life from a distance. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus arrived at the scene after the, child, after the child had already been dead. Jesus could have arrived before that child died. Jesus arrives after the child is dead. Then he goes into this room alone, accompanied with this dead child, accompanied only by mother and father and Peter and James and John. And they are there together in this quiet, solitary room. And then the text tells us that Jesus took her by the hand. He took the dead girl by the hand. And called out to the child, get up. Jesus didn't have to do that either. And so my question is, why? Why did Jesus do that? The Bible is filled with stories of Jesus healing, bringing people back to life, doing miraculous things from a distance, standing from afar, speaking a word. God is powerful enough to do that. So why did he do this? Why didn't he just call out from a distance and bring this person back to life? Why didn't God redeem us from a distance? Why did Jesus have to come at all? Certainly God has the power to redeem us and save us and redeem creation from a distance. If God has power enough to create the world from a distance, surely has God has power enough to save us from a distance? God certainly could have done it that way. He could have brought this man and brought that child back to life with his very words. But I think that he models for us on occasion the beauty of embodied compassion. There is tremendous power in a compassionate touch, in the physical compassionate touch. Did you realize this? Have you experienced this? Have you modeled this? 
I think it's particularly interesting that, that Jesus chose these two specific funerals. Uh, both of them of children. Both of them include grieving parents. He chose these two moments. Of, of all the moments that he could have chosen, he chose these two moments to model the power of a compassionate touch. Now, I don't know this for sure. I could be wrong about this, but I don't think I am. I think that the reason Jesus chose these two occasions to reach out and touch a dead person is because he knew he wasn't the first one to touch them. I bet, don't you? I, I bet that mother had touched that coffin that day already. More than that, I, I bet that she had hugged and kissed the body of her dead son more than once since he had died. So when Jesus made himself unclean at the funeral, what he was doing, he was simply joining this mother in her suffering. He was standing with her and sitting with her, just like he would do in this next chapter with Jairus' parents. Because that's what God does. It's in God's DNA. And this is important, church. If it is in God's DNA to do things like this, to stand or perhaps sit with the suffering, that's important for us to hear because we were made in the image of that God. And that means it's also in our DNA. And that means we are most like God. We are being who we were called and created to be more than any other time. And we also are offering a compassionate, physical touch to those who are suffering. The reason this story, I think, is so appropriate to remember on a day like this is because I think there are many mothers in the world who have embodied compassion far better than many of us. Many of the mothers that I know have conformed to the image of God in this way better than I have. I will just admit that. I think of the ways my own mother chose to bring compassion to me, not from a distance, when I have been hurting, when I've been sick, when I've been lost in my life. And I think many of you could tell similar stories. I think another reason this story is so important for us to hear, perhaps especially in a day like this, is because we have grown accustomed, I think, to hearing and talking about the ways in which men have taken on the characteristics of God. I think of the, the, the language that we use. And David was a man after God's own heart. Abraham was one who is a friend of God and modeled the godliness, the godly faithfulness. We think of Moses who offered the very presence of God to the people there in the wilderness. But what about the many women? What about the many women in Scripture and out of Scripture? What about the many women, our flesh and blood mothers and our spiritual mothers, perhaps even in this room? Those that have painted for us a picture of the image of God. I think it's also very appropriate on a day like this for us to remember that. So how can we thank mothers on a day like this? Maybe we can bring them food without offering to carry them down to the stove. That's just one possibility. Maybe we can thank them for the countless ways in which they have modeled for us the compassion of God. 
If you can today, I encourage you to send your mother a card. If it's possible, call your mom on the phone. And if it's even more possible, speak with your mother face to face. And in those moments, through those conversations, through that card, you may want to thank her above everything else for showing you a picture of the image of God. One of the things that I learned uh, many years ago in preaching on Mother's Day is that the greatest gift I can offer a mother is to preach a short sermon on Mother's Day. So this is my gift to you. I do want to extend to you an invitation. If there are those of you here this morning that would, that would desperately need and desire the prayers of this church, we would love to help you with that. We will surround you this morning to pray with you and encourage you in the ways that you need to be encouraged. Today could be the day that you've decided to give your life to Jesus, and boy, we would love to celebrate that with you as well and watch you put on Christ in baptism. If there are other ways in which this body of Christ can help you this morning, we invite you to come as we stand together and sing.